Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Bubbles and Biz. This week I chat with Stephen King, founder of Growth Force. They're an outsourced accounting and advisory agency. Um, after 25 years and he's interviewed and researched thousands of businesses, he found the difference between businesses that struggle and survive and those that succeed really depends on their back end. So we dive into human capital strategy and cost accounting and the ability to make decisions based on data. Um, I know finance and accounting can be kind of a touchy subject for business owners, so it was really interesting to dive in, and he really broke it down in some simple steps. Um, so I know you're going to enjoy it, so grab a glass and let's chat. Welcome to Bubbles and Biz, where we raise a glass to small business owners and entrepreneurs. Hi, I'm Nicole Bernard, and I'll be your host. I've been a small business owner for over 12 years, and I know how hard it is to market your business effectively. With all the tools out there, it can be confusing, and with all the tasks of running a business, it can be hard to find the time. In this podcast, I'll cover best marketing practices, essential tips and tricks to grow your business, and chat with other business owners to glean valuable information that they are using to crush their goals. So grab a glass and let's chat. Thanks so much for joining me on Bubbles and Biz today. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for our conversation. Um, like I said before, we started recording. I think, you know, finance and accounting for business owners can be kind of a touchy subject. So I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, I mean, it's really um, the 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 truth, right? This is what we what the numbers um, in a business are. The difference between the people who are successful and the and the ones that struggle have financial performance that drives business performance. So, you know, I'm I'm interested in kind of sharing what we've learned. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Before we dive into all that, um, have you like always been in finance and a business owner? Like how did you yeah. kind of get to where you are now? I've been an accountant since I'm 12. My dad <laughs> was an accountant off the boat from Ireland as my mom was a farmer in Ireland oh, off wow. the boat in America. And the uh, first firstborn uh, male of a generation gets the farm, and in my in my house in New, in Flushing Queens, New York, <laughs> the the farm was our my dad's basement uh, bookkeeping and tax service that he did manually for his buddies at the Knights of Columbus, wow. and so so I was an unpaid indentured servant. There were many times my mother after dinner said, "Go downstairs and help your father," <laughs> <laughs> so I did bookkeeping. Uh, when I was 12. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's great. I, I feel really blessed because I've done one thing for, you know, I'm 61. So whatever number of years that is, 50 years, and I've learned a lot. Yeah. I, I was just gonna say, you've hit that, like, what do they say? You have to do 10,000 hours or 10 years or something like that to be a, yeah. a master. Seems like you've done yeah. that quite a few times. <laughs> 20 years ago. But, but, but what's happened is, you know, the different iterations, I keep coming back to the small service businesses and the nonprofits mm. and how they really need the exact same thing. You know, the ones that the, the organizations that have the most success keep score mm-hmm. and they understand. So they have, they have data at the fingertips of the decision makers, whatever the decisions are, they work backwards from there and they, they keep score of the drivers of those decisions. So you're not guessing. Right. And, and they have a human capital strategy because you need both a financial management strategy and a human capital strategy. Just like if you want to lose weight, you need diet and exercise. Right. 
Yeah. So for people listening, can you expand on both of those, like what that means a little bit more? Because, you know, they might be like yeah. human capital strategy. I'm not really quite sure what that means, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, let's start, let's start with the financial management strategy because, you know, that's what we're, Growth Force is an outsourced accounting department for service businesses and nonprofits. And the traditional financial statements that I've been a CPA for 35 years, I would never say you don't need an income statement and a balance sheet because you do. Mm-hmm. They're critical, but they're designed for compliance. They're designed for external users. They are designed to make sure that the bank can be confident you can repay the loan. Mm -hmm. They're designed to make sure that any investors know that you're, you're making money. They're designed for the IRS to get its pound of flesh. And they're not actionable. Mm-hmm. You know, like in, I'm a big baseball fan here. You know, the the metaphor is is the box score of the ba- of the of the of the last night's game is the equivalent of what your CPA typically gives you: balance sheet, an income statement, and a statement of cash flows. You can't make decisions from that. Whereas the smart baseball teams have Billy Ball, right? If you watch the meet the movie Moneyball, the Oakland A's mm-hmm. couldn't compete with the dreaded New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers. So they had to figure out how to get better players cheap because of data. And on be- and someone who got on base with a walk was just as valuable as somebody who got a hit. And that's how they were able to compete. Same thing is true in business or in running a nonprofit. You can't just rely on the traditional financial statements. You have to have management accounting. Mm-hmm. You have to have the ability to look at Management accounting is just another word for cost accounting, right? What is the cost of the work that you do? And and looking at that and comparing that cost to the income that you earn on that work. So so you can look at the profitability or the economics of each unit of work, right? That's the fancy word is unit economics. So, So looking at the profitability on the work that you do over time with trends to see what directions the things are going allows you to make data-driven decisions that increase profitability or help you raise more money. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's, I was just taking some notes because yeah, I don't feel like as business owners, you know, like we're always kind of busy and we don't take the time to kind of look into these different, like I just lump accounting into accounting. You know, you just said three different types of accounting in like five minutes. So I just love yeah. that you've been able to share like that with us. Yeah. And, and there's only really one accounting concept that matters for management accounting. And, you know, you've all heard the phrase above the line versus below the line. Mm-hmm. That's what matters because the single most important thing in management accounting and data-driven decisions is your gross profit percentage. That's why the sharks on Shark Tank will always ask, how much does it do you sell it for and how much does it cost you to make? Mm-hmm. At the difference is your margin. And they're doing a percentage calculation and going when they say, yeah, you got pretty good margins. You're doing, oh, they got 50, 60% margins. That's pretty good. Or if they're saying your margins are horrible, it's like they got 20% margins, 30% margins. Mm-hmm. That's the first math you'll ever notice. Now, when you watch this show, you'll realize that every single time <laughs> they go right to your gross profit margin as a percentage. And so what becomes important is understanding gross profit is the line. And the above the line, the above the gross profit number is the cost of goods sold. It's the, it's the direct cost that your customer directly paid for. There's only two parts. There's direct labor, 
which is the labor that your customer directly paid for, the labor that directly earned you the money, the billable work, mm. and the direct materials, the stuff you had to buy in order to earn the income. Those are the two things that go above the line, and you have to get it right because that shows you how well you're running the company. And so you have to look at are the margins uh, where they need to be. <clears throat> And what your margin has to do, you know, your gross profit margin equals your gross revenue minus the cost to earn that revenue, minus the cost of goods sold, right? Mm -hmm. So that's your gross profit. Your gross profit has to cover overhead and generate your target net income. And so what, once you understand what's above the line and below the line, and you have gross profit margin numbers as a percentage, now what you can start to do is you can start to break that down to each unit, each customer, mm -hmm. each service that you provide, each a unit could be a location on your org chart, each department, each state, each, each, each location, or a unit is the, the billable hour for service businesses and nonprofits. How many hours are available to do all the work? And even if you're not getting paid for it, most nonprofits don't bring in any revenue, a uh, billable earned revenue. You see the cost of the services, so you know how much you need to raise. Mm -hmm. so, so, so that gross profit margin has to, at each customer, has to cover its share of the overhead. And if you want to make a 10% profit, there needs to be 10% more left over. So what's really cool is it's pretty simple math. You take your, you take your, you start with profits first. Mm -hmm. and this is the secret. This is the secret sauce, right? If your listeners where, you know, finish their bike ride or on a walk, or they're like, oh, I got to write one thing down. This <laughs> is it. The companies that are the most successful have this data at their fingertips. And when they make the single most important decision a business will make is pricing. Mm -hmm. Small change in pricing will have a profound impact on the bottom line. And so by, by calculating how much profit you want to make at the end of the year and starting there, and then working backwards to divide by the number of units that you've got. So a unit could be your billable hour or number of jobs you're going to do or number of widgets you produce in the field. If you look at that total for the year, now you know how much profit you need to make per hour. Oh, I love that. It does. Like that does sound so simple. Like in, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> And I feel like sometimes the financial stuff and like things like that is not simple, but if, if you're able to look at the end goal and then work your way back, like that makes total right. sense to me. Right. Totally. And, and so, so that's why it's the secret sauce, right? It's, it's, you know, start with the end in mind. And then what happens is you do the same thing with your overhead. Mm -hmm. How much overhead have you got? You know, I've got a client who has a $10 million business who's trying to get to you know 10% profit. They're at 5% right now. Mm -hmm. They've got, they've got 80 employees. I'm sorry, they've got, they've got uh, 50 employees and those employees, there's 2000 hours um, a year, but they, they, they're not all available for them for billing purposes, right? They have to take vacations and they have sick time and there's trainings that every employee has to go to and there's company meetings and there's, mm. you know, uh, group outings for team building, you know, there's just <laughs> stuff. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you figure out what is your, what does that all add up to? And you come up with a utilization budget. It's, it's, it's really cool. And you can go there and say, okay, we think our employees are going to end. They can be 70, 
5% utilized or 80% utilized. That's realistic. So then you take the total available hours and multiply times the total potential billable hours, and now you've only got 12,000 hours. You don't have 16 available to you. But once you've got the 12,000 number, you can divide that into your profits. Come up with a profit per hour. Budget. Divide your overhead by those hours and come up with an overhead per hour budget. And then you look at all your above the line cost, all that direct labor that you're paying for your billable people and all the direct materials that they're spending, actually just the labor, and divide that by the, you know, the, the total cost of goods sold, materials and labor, divide that by the number of available hours. You come up with a above the line cost per hour. Now you can add up your above the line and your below the line, the overhead and the profit per hour. And that's how much billable revenue you need to have per hour in order for you to make your income target. It's just math. Mm -hmm. And so that's the most important the difference between the companies that are the most successful and the ones that are not, they understand their unit economics. And what's interesting is in nonprofits, you're, 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 you don't have any profits. So you're not adding up the, you know, your, your profit number is zero, but you still need that same exact data. So you can go to the donor and you can say, here's how much it costs. And here's how, what the outcomes are going to be from as a result of your gift. That's what donors want to see is the tangible result of the gift. Mm -hmm. And this unit economics helps nonprofits show them exactly what you get for $1,000 because you can see what it costs. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Um it makes a lot of sense. And so would that be a part of the human capital strategy that you mentioned in the beginning? Or is that something slightly different? That's different. Okay. You know, human capital strategy is being intentional about what kind of business do you want to build? It starts with um, understanding your unique selling proposition. Why do you exist? What is your mission? Who is your ideal customer? Mm -hmm. What value do you offer to that customer? And your mission and your vision and your core values come out of that very first step. You know, I've been a client and a strategic partner with Insperity for over a decade. And a lot of this stuff I learned as a client and partner, mm -hmm. you know, once you understand why you're there, then all of a sudden you can start to attract people who care about that mission, yes. that want to do what you do. And so step two is to build a culture by design, you know, being intentional about what kind of company do you want to build? We're going through that right now. You know, it's the year of resignation and, and a lot of people didn't want to come back to the office. So we're kind of getting a fresh start at figuring out who are we? Right. We just, we just added four hours of volunteer time for every employee in the company every quarter because that we want to be a company with a conscience. We're redesigning what our goals are. And uh, post-COVID pivot because, you know, nonprofits have been really good clients for us. So we've we've really helped put a focus company-wide on that. So where step two is you want to attract people who care about that mission because then they're going to stay for a long time. And you got to define, you got to define um, what your uh, behaviors are that are successful in step two. You know, you, you're, you're looking at, um, you're looking at behaviors that, that become the basis for recruiting, not recruiting for skills to pay the bills. Step three is goal alignment. And this is where the human capital strategy meets the financial management strategy, where they, they start to overlap with, you know, your, each person needs to have clear goals, written goals that 
have a line of sight between what their actions are and what the success is on the other end. And success for them personally, both financial success mm-hmm. as well as their personal development as the company grows, as well as the company's success. And they all are aligned. And so your financial management comes in when you put numbers next to that. Step four is keeping score of those numbers. You have a budget, and then you want to track the actual results at the same level of detail that people make decisions. And then step five is where the financial management goes, meets the circle of the human capital strategy again. And now you recognize and reward the people who contributed the most to profits with profit sharing and with incentive compensations and with recognition and making sure that you're giving people opportunities to develop new skills and grow. And so, you know, it, it's it, the, the successful companies have, no, you need both. You can't just do it with one or the other. If you have a, I had a great financial management strategy in New York City. I started a company called Virtual Growth. We raised 43 million in venture capital funding from Citibank and Bessemer, big name people, and had 200, over 200 people in seven cities. And I didn't have it. I didn't have a culture that was mm-hmm. that was intentional. In fact, our mindset was we're paying rent 24 hours a day. What can we do to make people work longer hours? Okay, we'll give you a town car if you stay till nine o'clock and you can take a ride home in luxury. We had 45 town cars outside our office one night because the culture was like, beat the crap out of everybody. Oh, they yeah. pay you a lot of money, but that's kind of New York City. Mm-hmm. And I, and I moved to Texas and Paul Savardi from Insperity taught me how, he said, you New Yorkers, you live to work. I'm going to teach you how to work to live. And so I'm in Kingwood, Texas now. Uh, you have to have that balance in order to yeah. keep you for a long time. Oh, I love that. It's so true. Like, because I feel like, um, like you said, a lot of businesses that I've talked to have one or the other, but not quite both. And I feel like um, also to maybe business owners, they kind of have an idea, you know, of their mission and what their passion is and the kind of culture they want, but it's not quite communicated, you know, to, you know, their employees and even the outside world for people to like actually really be attracted and connect with them. You know what I mean? So having them both really spill like built out and then how, like you said, in number three, when you match it with the money and then it comes full circle with number five, like just intertwining those, uh, that just seems like that would be huge success. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's really, you look at the companies that just live that dream, right? All their mm-hmm. employees are happy and the company makes a lot of money. Well, why are they connected? Because the right. single biggest hidden cost in business is turnover. Mm. And this year has been, has been brutal for all of us. You know, uh, well, I, I feel very blessed that my clients are so forgiving because they're going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, the cost you, the cost of somebody leaving is, is, you know, as much as two times their annual salary. And it's, wow. it's, it's, it's shocking. We did the math. I didn't realize um, it was that high. Yeah. It's a minimum of 50% of the salary because, you know, it just, it takes a lot of money to invest in training staff. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time away from senior leadership to find somebody who fits your culture, who has the behavior you're looking for. You can't just hire fast. You have to hire slow and find the right fit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people buy from people. So when a member of the tribe leaves, you know, we're all run by tribal knowledge. No matter yeah. how well you've documented your LMS, there's relationships here. And when a member of the tribe leaves, so does the knowledge and the relationship. So it's a really important for, for, for business owners to understand that hidden cost 
The ones that are really profitable have people who stay with their company for a long time Mm -hmm. and they celebrate that. And they incentivize that by training and training and training their people because I stayed at Ernst Young for seven years. I, 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 I was, I was there every Saturday for seven years, except Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I loved it because I learned so much every single day. If you can help people achieve their kind of higher purpose and give them creative challenges and, 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 and encourage that, you know, when they leave your company, you're going to be worth a lot more, mm-hmm. um, you know, then you'll, that, that goes a long way to helping you, you know, be in a, be a, build that company that has sustainable growth. But if you have turnover, that's employee turnovers are number one metric client turnovers. Number two, Mm. My employees are way more important to me than my clients. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And like, I feel like, you know, maybe some people might not see that that's what it should be. You know what I mean? Because they're thinking, oh, no, I can't lose clients because then, you know, there's no money coming in or dips. But if you lose your employees, like that obviously is worth more. Yeah, I, I, I totally thought you're, I'm an accountant, right? I'm a CPA for 35 years. I looked at the P&L and I said, okay, employees are an expense. Mm-hmm. So if I want to make more money, what do I do with an expense? I cut the costs. I'm going to try and pay as little as I can in salaries. I'm going to try and have the cheapest health insurance. Mm-hmm. And turnover, all right, turnover is just the cost of doing business. That's why I have an HR department to find me somebody new. I didn't really understand that insipid cost of turnover right. and how it destroys all the gains you get. Because every time you have to hire somebody new, you're going to have less profits. I, we, yeah. we, there's no doubt about it. It costs you money to train someone. That's an expense that you didn't have before. So you're less profitable. Mm-hmm. You're going to be, who's going to be doing the training? Your most valuable people, your directors or your, your best managers. That means you're not only paying them to be in a windowless conference training room, <laughs> but to, but they're not generating revenue. Oh, there's a big, I look at the P&Ls on the companies that are wildly successful. In fact, the AICPA, the highest body in the land for accounting, they did a study. They found that 68% of the value of its people, sorry, 68% of the value of a company is its people. Oh. It's, yeah, it was, it was the relationships with the customers and the vendors and the understanding the technology, intellectual property, and you know, having the business owner's strategic vision and, have, and knowing the processes to get there. That's where the value in a company is. And, and what they wanted to do was they wanted to have a required footnote disclosure in the financial statements for turnover. Why would the accountants want to talk about HR in the financial statements? <laughs> because they saw a direct correlation between the companies that they were most profitable, that had the highest earnings per share. There was a direct correlation between that and turnover. Wow. It makes sense too. Cause I mean, you know, your employees, they are the ones like dealing with the vendors and like, there's just so many different strings along the way that employees are attached to. It's like, now that makes sense to me. Yeah. It's, and, and it's, you know, it also, when you have high, when you have long-term relationships, uh, your clients stay long-term. Mm-hmm. I just, we, we just had a client who, who ended just 10 years of uh, treat, right. was one of our clients. They just ended 10 years with us. Um, their, their, um, their email to their bookkeeper, Teresa, I read it at the company meeting. It makes you cry. Like, you know, Teresa just cared so much about us that, you know, she took it personally. And, you know, it was just, that's the kind of thing that, um, when you have turnover, you can't do. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so for people listening today and they're just like taking all this in and absorbing them, like what would your number one tip to be kind of like where they would get started? You know, like the, now that they're hearing about the financial and then the human um, capital and, you know, now they're realizing that they want to make some decisions based on data, like where could they start? I think, um, you know, it starts with um, an assessment. You know, mm-hmm. we've got we've got um, some assessments that help you figure out exactly where you are. Um, growthforce.com. It can start a chat. We will, uh, uh, one of our, my colleagues here will help quickly be able to see where your opportunities are for for growing your bottom line. You know, that's why we called the company Growth Force. I, I've studied mm-hmm. thousands of businesses and I looked and I was so disappointed to see how many of them were really successful growing the top line, mm-hmm. but they didn't know how to drive to the bottom line. And, you know, it's 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 hard to work really hard and not to, to achieve your life's goal. And, you know, some <laughs> business owners, they're barely making minimum wage when you look at all the hours. And on the nonprofit right. side, we have a nonprofit, a nonprofit assessment that talks about how you tie your outcomes to your, your mission. I got to be the CFO and the Director of Development for Amnesty International USA. And so I learned how in the nonprofit world, the same thing applies. The accounting department has to work with the development team to be able to show you, show the donor the tangible result of their gift. So if you go to growthforce.com slash NFP, then we have all our nonprofit tools and webinars and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And I will definitely, I'll put that in the podcast notes as well. So everybody can click there. Um, and I didn't, I wanted to say something that I saw on your website too, that I love. And it said, it's not how much you bring in that matters. It's what you keep. And I was like, oh God, it's yeah. so right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, well, also this has been amazing. Like I took like a whole page of notes and I can't wait to just put it in all the podcast notes for everybody. Like, is there anything else that you, I don't know, want to share or dive into? Yeah, like, just, I feel just, like- just, just tell people to stop by and listen to our podcast, Path yeah. to Profits at growthforce.com slash podcast. And there's lessons from growth-driven business leaders who scale their business. Or they can email me, Stephen at growthforce.com or uh uh, LinkedIn. I'm Stephen King CPA. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. What was the name of your podcast? I didn't catch that. Yeah. So just... It's path to profits. It's really Ooh. great. What okay. we do is we interview business owners who have done it, mm. who have been successful. I, I just did one today, $50 million business, got uh, 18% to the bottom line. I mean, we're talking about eight figures in profits, 200, uh, about 235 people. And they scaled that over 25 years. And the lessons that they learned, yeah. what they did, what's different, what were the secrets? If they could go back and speak to their younger self, what would they teach them? And so that's kind of what, um, uh, that's what the path to profits is all about. I'm really proud of it because there's so many lessons that I learned even at 61 years old and I, I, I enjoy it. Right. Oh, I can't wait to listen. That sounds amazing. Cause it always, you know, when you hear it from someone who's been through it, <laughs> it's different than just kind of, you know, doing some research on Google, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. All right. This has been fantastic. Um, Yeah, I will put all of your information in the podcast notes so everybody can connect with you. And I really appreciate you sharing all of your knowledge. Um, It was very helpful. And I know the listeners are just going to love it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, thanks again. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week.